So Christian living, this is what we started, by the way, in chapter 12 of Romans. The previous 11 chapters were some very um, sincere and deep doctrinal truths that we ought to know as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ. You see, Paul has patterned his letters in this way. He starts out with doctrine and he ends with application. He starts out with doctrine and then he exhorts us to live out our Christian faith. You can see this in Galatians and Colossians and First and Second Thessalonians. And, and this is definitely a Pauline distinctive. But it should be a common distinctive, a, a pattern that is reflected in our own lives, in the lives of people who proclaim and declare that we are disciples of Jesus Christ, lovers of God, learning God's principles and then seeking to understand how to apply them in everyday life. I, I remember very well just going back to my years growing up. In school at some point, just there was a lot of um, what I would what I figured was just a lot of information that I was going to learn that I wasn't going to apply. And um, so because of other things in my life and my own distractions, I, I kind of tuned out. I, I did what I needed to do in order to get by, which wasn't, by the way, the right thing to do. Is Remember, hindsight's twenty twenty. all right? So I'm not saying that, that that is the right thing to do, that wasn't a good thing to do, that that was a good thing to do, but it, it wasn't. But I have to say that the moment someone was teaching me something that I could apply in my life, that got my attention. You see, good teachers, what they'll do is they'll not only teach you something, but they'll, they'll teach you how to apply it. This is what God does throughout Scripture. You remember those teachers. The teachers who really brought to life the subject matter. The ones who took the time to explain to you, make things clear. The teachers that didn't talk above you, but spoke to you and with you and helped you through and helped you learn. We ought to be learners. We ought to be students of God's word, knowing that everything that we have before us in some way, shape, or form is teaching us ways that we are benefited, we are blessed by it, and we glorify the Lord in and through. Whether we're learning about God's character about the faultiness of God's people, about the evilness of the world around us, around us, all of that serves you and I in very practical ways. Learning God's principles and then seeking to understand how to apply them in everyday life because these things are true. This is the kind of person you should be. A Christian expressing your faith received by God's grace with love and humility and action toward God and others. This is why we spent the entirety of last Sunday's message on only the first two verses of this chapter. Learning what it is to be a living sacrifice. It's not enough to know about a living sacrifice but it's learning to be a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Learning what is holy. Learning what is acceptable. 
learning what is our rational service unto God, our reasonable service, by not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewal of our minds by God's Spirit and by His Word. Listen, if and only we learn these two verses and receive them and walk them out in our lives, can we then understand how to exercise our God-given gifts to His glory consistently, sacrificially, holy and acceptable? We learn what is good and perfect, what is acceptable to the Lord. If we as Christians learn that the life we live and the gifts we have, our supernatural, our divine God-given abilities are all to be used for the glory of God to fulfill His purposes and plans according to His Word, then we can grow in Christ and learn how to use the gifts of grace rightly and reflect a godly character for the benefit and growth of the church. That's what we're called to do. Let's learn what that is and what it looks like and how to apply it. God's gifts are for the benefit of all. Let us think about that. God gifts, God, God's gifts are for the benefit of all of us. Um, you know, the fruit of the Spirit. Just think about just the, the, the picture that that draws in our own minds. You know, the, uh, the fruits that are produced by a, let's say, for instance, an orange tree. Is it for the benefit of the orange tree itself? Lemon tree, grapefruit, avocado. It's for the benefit of others, right? And so is our fruit. The fruit that God produces through us is for the benefit of others. So God's gifts are for the benefit of all. Paul goes into this section regarding God's distribution of gifts by warning the believers in Rome not to be prideful or arrogant. We read again in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. I think it's funny how Paul starts out by saying, By the grace given to me. In other words, it's an example. He himself is living this out in his own life. He's exhorting them in the very same manner in which he is exhorting them to behave themselves. By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Even the place and work Paul has been given was recognized by Paul as only being possessed by God's grace and takes no credit for even the exhortation that he is giving to them. Any exhortation worth giving comes not of your own opinion, but is rooted and grounded in the word of God. Paul understood that this was not his own personal opinion, But God's command, God's warning, God's word, and by God's grace, he has been tasked with delivering the message. By God's grace, we serve him in whatever capacity we serve him in. And this is what Paul was expressing even in his words. By God's grace, I'm standing before you, exhorting you to not be prideful, not be arrogant, 
with the gifts that you've been gifted with by God to use for the benefit and glory of our almighty God. So Paul understood it was God's work through and through. So two things that he said here. Number one, number one, don't think you're above anyone else spiritually. In fact, if we, if we mature in Christ, as we do, we realize as we grow closer to the Lord, just how, just how much we, we, uh, we come short. We have, we have fallen. We see God's grace even more clearly. If, as we truly, I'm not talking about knowledge. I'm talking about maturity. Maturity in Christ, understanding the word of God and then applying it to our lives. As we grow closer to the Lord, what will happen is that we ought to become more and more humble. There's this humility that really marks us as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. He says, number one, don't think you're above anyone else spiritually. Don't be arrogant. Don't be prideful. And secondly, exercise or use or live out whatever faith God has assigned to you through the gifts that he's graced you with. You know, Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. James 2.26 says, For as a body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let us not confuse, though, confidence with pride and arrogance. There is a humble confidence that you can exert and express in the Lord. This is what the Apostle Paul exemplified in his own life, what the Apostle John, James, and many of the others that we know about expressed. But there's a humility that we ought to really be deliberate about, we ought to possess. Because if we think this way, then we can understand and know how to act within the church or within the local body of believers. Specifically, for us, as as this is being taught here, specifically within refuge, this fellowship right here. Now, we need to note that Paul is not speaking to the quote-unquote leaders, but to all the believers in Rome. This is something that as we start this section of Scripture, we need to understand this letter was being addressed to all of the Christians in Rome, in the church in Rome. To each, God has given a measure of faith, and without this measure, none of these gifts could be exercised. This means that faith is the standard by which our gifts are valued. Without faith, our works mean nothing And they are all done in vain. You know, if you're just doing it, going through the motions, we sung the song, you know, may we not be going through the motions, right? May this not just be another song that we sang, a work that we've done, 
a ministry that we've accomplished, let it be done with sincerity and with an exercise of our faith. For without faith, the Bible says in Hebrews 11.6, it is impossible to please him. He's assigned to each one a measure of faith. Each one. And that's what he values. This also means that God is the sole author of our gifts. And we are therefore totally dependent on him for them. And therefore we ought not to be arrogant and prideful in their exercise within the church. In other words, as we work them out, as we serve with our gifts, we know that we are completely dependent on the Lord, and there's no way we can even brag about that. For it is the very thing that God has given us that we're given to others. It says here to think with sober judgment. That means to recognize, to be aware, and understand what God has given to us and be zealous and humble in its use. To be sober-minded. Um, you know, in verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There's no way, if we are distracted, if we are consumed with things around us, there's no way that we can have uh, a mind that is clearly focused and fixed on the Lord. We are consumed with everything else. I was thinking uh, a little bit ago as we were worshiping. You know, the only true way that our faith can be tested, the only way that we can really know if Jesus truly is everything to us, the only way to be fully tested is to be stripped of everything. Everything. Job was a man who was tested. He was a man who stood faithful. It's um, something to think about because there are times when we have only a little bit taken away and we're, we're crying out as if that was everything. And yet we, we sing these songs. We're going through the motions. We sing these songs and saying that, Jesus, you're my everything. You're my all in all. And yet when, when a little comfort gets taken away, when, when a little bit little something happens all of a sudden it's not a it's not about him all of a sudden it turns inward we've been assigned a measure of faith it's up to us whether we exercise that faith or not faithfully to him knowing that Jesus truly is our all in all. He is our complete satisfaction. We are content in him and in no one else. So let us learn that we are individuals, yes, within the church, 
and yet we are members one of another. God gave us instructions. They were very clear. He warned us of certain things, distractions, things not to be conformed to, but be transformed by his word. And so we ought to understand that within the church, as we look at this passage in Romans chapter 12, that the Apostle Paul is is bringing our attention to something very important here. It's the exercising of our gifts by faith within the church. It is beautiful when the brethren dwell in unity. It blesses the Lord. But we're not talking about uniformity of personalities or even of giftings. There's a variety of giftings. We're talking about a unity that is found centered in Jesus Christ. Let's look at this diversity in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll be going to verse 14. So First Corinthians 12, verse 14. It is written, "For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, "Because I am not." A hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. And read that one again. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another." If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. It's awesome when we take the time to read this as we are going through Romans chapter 12 because we we begin to see a pattern, a consistency in what God has, his work that he's doing within his own body of believers amongst his church. Uh, He's assigned, it's his work. He's given a measure of faith. It's by His grace. We all have an important role to play within the body. 
Let us not think any less of what we do within the body. Let us all take full responsibility, knowing that it is vital that we function in the capacity that God has given to us to function in, to to work, to serve for the building up of the body of Christ. This is why it is so important to know your gift and then use it within the church. He goes on to say, saying, having gifts that defer according to the grace given to us, he said, these four words, let us use them. Let us use them. That's why Christianity is not a spectator sport. Um, We have many opinions as to how the church should be and how it should function, but we need to just simply participate. Get in there and roll up our sleeves and and get to work. We see the church likened to one body made up of many members a a number of times throughout the New Testament. I'm just going to line out a few for you just to give you an example. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 30. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 16. And Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23 through 30. That's just to name a few. There are more. And we also see other sections of the New Testament list the gifts of the Spirit distributed within the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Chapter uh, or in Ephesians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So it's consistent with Scripture, with other areas of Scripture. And Paul lists out some gifts that are defined and listed as being gifts according to God's grace. Prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, contribution, leading, and mercy. That is the list that we have before us. This is not an exhaustive list but one that gives the idea of how to use the gifts of grace that God has given to each one individually for the benefit of all members of the body of Christ, also known as the church, the local church. This is why I am particularly very jealous about protecting and bringing in the flock for the very purpose of building up this body. This is what's been entrusted to me. This is a great and awful responsibility. I desire that we all come together consistently serving the Lord. That we learn how to apply God's word. That we participate in ministry. We do it correctly. According to God's word, not just however we wish, but according to God's word, that we may truly bring him glory. And as, as we sung the song, the lyrics were up on the screen. Looking forward, being a church that is, what's that? A, a church that is ready, right? A bride, the bride of the groom that is ready for his return. Are we ready, church? Go through the list. Prophecy. Verse 4 says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. 
Having, a, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Um, you know, in, in some groups, in some teams, and uh, for me, I can, I can look at baseball. Uh, there's, this, uh, there's this brotherhood that's there as, as I played with some teams. I remember there was a group of, uh, of, of guys that I played with, and and we played together for a long time. And so there's, there's all, always this, this sense of brotherhood, of always watching each other's backs and, and knowing what it means to be part of a team and, and doing our part. Um, there's also, um, you know, those of you who have been in the military know what it means to, to experience camaraderie, um, to come together and definitely have each other's backs. And in uh, work as as one part of a larger body uh, to fulfill certain goals, and so that's what the church should be. Prophecy. Let's let's see what that has uh, has to do with, and what what the apostle Paul is referring to, because this is one part of many moving parts within the church. Prophecy, doing our part, and, and keeping others. Uh, in mind as we do so, in first and foremost, the Lord Jesus Christ. Prophecy. This is not referring to the foretelling of future events, but rather giving a clear understanding of what is written regarding the heart and mind of God. Uh, what is consistent of God, what is consistent according to His Word. We need to be careful to communicate who God is accurately and not give false claims about who he is and what his word communicates and what he desires. And so this is what he is referring to when he addresses the gift of prophecy. If it's prophecy in proportion to your faith, you can, we, we cannot um, prophesy beyond what we ourselves have faith in. It's only in proportion to our faith. Do it genuinely. Do it sincerely. Do it rightly. Sound doctrine. It's the, I know as Chuck Smith would, would say, it's, it's the forth telling. It's bringing about God's word and explaining it very clearly. Teaching the consistency of God's character. Service. Verse 7, if service in our serving. Uh, this, this is making reference to maybe some of your translations uh, just uses the word ministry. This is not specific to any one area of ministry, but in general, ministry, service. This is referring to the practical application of what we know and how we have needs around the church and how to meet those needs personally. We know that I am assigned by God to be Jesus' under-shepherd and to teach and to shepherd this flock, the refuge. But the practical needs of the church can be many things. You know, the, you've heard me say that uh, I remember even back, even B.C., I remember I, I grew to hate these words. When people refuse to do things that were outside of the scope of their work. That is not my job. That's not my job. Like, mm, 
It's just like, why? Why would you? Why would you not go out of your way? Always doing a little more. You know, um, it, it's just been ingrained in me. I, I heard it repeated over and over and over again. The the words, and then some. Do your work, and then some. Perform to the best of your ability, and then some. Go above and beyond. If we're just doing whatever it is that we're, like, that's just what I do. This, this is it. Then we're doing the bare minimum, really, is what we're doing. We're doing the bare minimum. If you, this is why I love Pastor Chuck Smith and how it is that he was an example. You know what he would do in, in the parking lot? One of the things that he hated were cigarette butts. And, and if he saw one on the ground, he would take the time, even though he said he loathed. <laughs> he, he loathed doing this, he would do it. He'd pick up the cigarette butt and make sure that it made its way to the trash can. A piece of trash on the ground. You see uh, chairs that are out of line, you know, straighten them out. We need help cleaning the restroom. You're willing to clean the restrooms, take out the trash, help with painting, help with construction, changing out light bulbs, vacuuming, moving, and setting up tables and chairs and just so much more. Just being willing. Seeing something that needs to be done and just doing it. This is practical ministry. And then when announcements are announced up here and there's a need for something within the ministry, if we have a church that serves then we will have no need after it's been announced. We'll have a flood of people going to the information table. Just stand by, Lynn, because this is... <laughs> and at some point, we too can say, hey, listen, <laughs> we have enough. There's no more need. Oh, we don't need to line up anymore. That should be the church. That should be. We should serve with, with gratefulness and gratitude and thankfulness in our hearts that we're able to. teaching goes on to say the one who teaches in his teaching this is referring to giving instruction breaking down the word of god and helping others understand it this takes place by the way in children's ministry in youth in men's and women's bible fellowships and in sunday and wednesday services Since it is a gift of God by his grace and for the benefit of his church and his people, then this should be not taken lightly, and thus the preparation should be thorough and covered in prayer. Expressing a reliance on God that is genuine, and the teaching is to be accurate, and it is to be sound. It's not just whatever. That's why... We need to learn. We need to know Scripture when we're teaching in context. Understand that we need to allow the Scripture to speak for itself and not put meaning into the Scripture. No matter what the setting within the church is, the teaching needs to be sound and it needs to be accurate. 
James 3, 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Not only are teachers to teach soundly, but they are to be genuine in their own faith, their personal faith. Not living the life of hypocrisy, but teaching and doing. Rather, the two are to come together, and they should, they should really express themselves in the person who is teaching. There's, there's not a quicker way of losing your credibility than to teach something than to do the opposite. But with teachers, there is also the gift of exhortation that's been given to the church. Exhortation. Encouraging others to practice what's been taught. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. Some people are gifted exhortationalists. I don't know if that's a word, but... Exhortationalists. They have a a way of encouraging people to live out their faith. Perhaps you're thinking of someone right now, or perhaps you're that person. This person has a desire and inclination and a burden to see people understand and live out their faith. This person can't look the other way when someone knows someone is not applying what they know to apply. You're not happy. It's, it's, it's just like, oh, man, it's just eating at me. I, I have to say something. I, I have to go encourage them to live out what I know they know. It's called being able to hold someone accountable. And quite frankly, church, we need to grow some thicker skin when it comes to this. We need to be able to receive someone who ex- is exhorting us with humility, with kindness and gentleness. Why? Because we know the heart behind it. Because given the opportunity, this person can't help but speak. We need people that are gifted this way within the church because much knowledge can puff up a person, can make someone prideful. So too much knowledge and, and no application just kind of fattens us up. It's, it's just a bunch of knowledge, and it can bring pride. Proverbs 25, 11 and 2 says, a, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. This is a word for you exhortationalists. It, it, listen, Proverbs 25, 11 and 12. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. For the listener, Proverbs 12, verses 15 and 16. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. You know, when you think you've been insulted, you know, the prudent will, I'm, I'm going to ignore that. Why? Again, because you see the heart of the person who's doing the exhorting. The one who exhorts in exhortation, that means that the person who exhorts must also be willing to be exhorted. 
The person who exhorts must first be willing to be exhorted by the Lord and also by others. Deal with gentleness and respect. How about contribution? The contributor. The one who contributes in generosity. This is the person who gives. But don't we all give? Yes, absolutely. We are all to give. And that is true. But this is, this is a gifting. The person who has been, as we have read, who has been assigned to this very thing within the church. This is referring to the person who has given much in the form of finances and even networking resources, whatever it is that benefits the church as a whole. In fact, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And at the very end of this chapter, in chapter 6 and verse 17, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, which, by the way, uh, Timothy um, was a pastor, and he wanted to make sure that he was prepared, he was equipped. This is the very word of God that was to be taught. Verse 17 says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And it is in that way that we encourage and exhort and we instruct those who are gifted to be contributors within the church. There are some who are absolutely blessed financially. And we must not be fearful of saying, this is what the, the word tells us to do. This is what God has given to us. This is, you, you are taking part in participating within the church. This is what it means to be faithful. As we are blessed financially, we are not to forget why God has blessed us. And that we are stewards of his provision and we are to be generous in our giving. And remember that these gifts are to be used in proportion to our faith. Because God loves a cheerful giver. Do this without grumbling. Because if not, then it is of no benefit, no value to the giver. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, it says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Leaders. The one who leads with zeal. Very simple, right? The one who leads with zeal. Listen, position doesn't make a person a leader. Just because someone has a title doesn't mean that they're a leader. One must be a leader to lead rightly. 
Leadership is to be exercised with diligence and an eagerness. The leader must not be lazy or haphazard, but must do his work well. A leader must be the example, must be what he is leading others to be. You cannot lead others to be something that you yourself are not. You cannot. Leaders are to lead with zeal. Do we understand what zeal is? It is an intense effort. As leaders, think about yourself. If you're a leader, do you lead with an intense effort? Do you lead with an intense motivation? Do you work hard? Do you do your best? Leadership is taught when leadership is acted upon. This is consistent with Scripture through and through. We're all learning, we're all growing. But leadership is taught when leadership is actually acted upon. Listen, even when hardship and difficulties come, a leader, by God's grace and spirit, is steadfast and immovable, endures and perseveres. A leader does not give up, actively or passively. Because we can give up. It may not be expressed, you know, in, in an active way, just saying, you know, I give up, I rung the bell, I'm, I'm done, I'm out. But we can do it passively. We're just MIA. We're absent mentally. We're, we're just not there. Again, it's consistent with Scripture through and through. Again, it goes back to who is our satisfaction, our contentment, our all in all. doesn't mean that we don't go through difficulties. Because every single leader is put to the test. All right? And some of them... We may think that they're extreme when it's just fitting. It's like, well, that's not very nice to say. No, it's, it's fitting. It's fitting for fallen man. It, it's, fill, it's fitting so that we can comfort others with the same comfort that we've been comforted by God with. So we can express a confidence in God's word. We can walk it out in our own lives and then turn around and and tell someone else, hey, listen, you can have that peace that surpasses all understanding. I know what you're going through. I know the thoughts that you're having. But listen, you need to take heart because God, Jesus, he has overcome this world. And our hope is in nothing that this world can provide, but in Christ and Christ alone. Our example Our chief example is Jesus Christ, who although was faced with the agony of the cross, did not shrink back from fulfilling the Father's will, but continued on and did indeed fulfill it. He set his face toward Jerusalem, and he fulfilled the will of the Father completely. And the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Leaders lead in Christ and to Christ for the sake of others. In difficulties, especially. Finally, and there's, there's many examples to be given of that. Mercy. 
It is difficult to show mercy, but when you do, do it with cheerfulness. Again, it is of no value to a person if they do this with reluctance or begrudgingly. Uh, This person who has this gift is to be, listen to this, this is how it's described, this is how it's defined in Scripture, is to be radiant with joy, because mercy is not a grim duty, but a joy and a delight. This mercy is in reference to showing mercy to the sick, to the suffering, to the needy. If you're ministering, if you're serving those, those people, the sick, the suffering, the needy, do it joyfully. May you find great delight in doing so. You see, all of these things that we've covered is all covered by God's grace. It's his gifting. He's gifted us with this measure of faith and with these gifts. And he says, son, daughter, go use them. Go apply them within that local body of believers. Know that the church is being built up, as it says in Ephesians chapter 4, when everyone is doing their own part. If we as Christians learn that the life we live and the gifts we have are all to be used for the glory of God, to fulfill his purposes and plans according to his word, then we can grow in Christ and learn how to use the gifts of grace rightly and reflect a godly character for the benefit and growth of the church. That blesses the Lord. That is what we were instructed in this morning. Having faith that defer according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Father, may we truly express this in our own lives, expressing an understanding of how to do so to and for your glory and for the benefit and blessing of our brothers and sisters in Christ, for the building up of the church. So, Lord, forgive us if we've fallen short, as we have. We ask, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit. Lord, that we would, we would exercise that faith that you've given to us. For without faith, truly, it isn't impossible to please you. I ask, Lord, that, Lord, you would not only give us instruction in this manner, but help us to apply it unto your glory. And so, Father, bless your church. Help us to think on these things as we go about our day. And, Lord, may we understand that grace, that grace that uh, was demonstrated through Jesus Christ. Lord, nothing of... nothing that we've covered this morning would mean anything if we ourselves are not saved. Lord, if we have not come to be forgiven. For you, t- you tell us in your word, as Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we may be saved. So let us cry out to you, asking you for forgiveness, believing that 
Jesus is the Son of God who died for our sins. And through the shedding of his blood, we have the forgiveness of our sins. Let us then respond in our lives by by serving you, by honoring you with our very lives, being those living sacrifices and blessing you. Thank you, Lord, for this time, and we pray this all in Jesus' name.